on all levels of government not being able to properly serve access to justice to not just landlords, like tenants are suffering uh, with this system as well. Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larby. Hey guys, you are listening to Where Should I Invest? It's Sarah Larby and today's guest is Kayla Andrade. She is our landlord advocate and has been doing that for the last 13 years on our behalf, fighting the fights and making sure as much as possible that our voices are heard as uh, as landlords in Ontario. So brought her back. She is sharing some updates for landlords. So you do not want to miss that. But before we bring her on, Dahlia from Streetwise Mortgages. Dahlia, over to you. What is new in the financing world today? Hi, I'm Dahlia, founder of Streetwise Mortgages. As mortgage qualifications have tightened for residential properties between one and four units due to the rising interest rates, you may find it harder to switch lenders for better terms at renewals or qualify for the full mortgage amount on a purchase or a refinance. You may also find that you have to switch from an A lender to a B lender or from a B lender to a private mortgage at higher costs to get your deals done. Under the regular residential mortgage qualifications, the lenders typically look at your personal income, any rental income you earn, along with any debts that are on your balance sheet. They look at these things to approve the file and basically if the numbers do not fit within their guidelines of gross debts and total debt coverage, they will typically cut down the loan amount, or decline the deal altogether. I am about to share with you today some new programs that are available to you on the street to overcome the approval hurdles. As the lenders under these programs are able to go above their typical guidelines of gross debts and total debt coverage to approve the deals. So let's take a quick dive into these programs, and I would love to highlight for you the things that matter that can help you. The first program is called the Net Worth and Wealth-Based Program. Under that program, lenders would take into consideration any non-real estate assets that you own, including registered, non-registered investments, and of course, cash. Some lenders will lend dollar for dollar against this net worth above and beyond what you would qualify for under the typical guidelines. And some lenders would take a percentage of that net worth and add it back to your income to help qualify the deal. The second set of programs are called the extended ratios programs. Very technical term here. Under these programs, the lenders would basically approve your file if the ratios are high, but up to a certain limit. And for doing that, they will add what's called a rate premium to the interest rate. So essentially, you're going to get your deal approved, but you're going to pay a little more from an interest rate standpoint. The third program is for self-employed clients. So if you are self-employed, some, some banks right now are offering programs that allow adding a percentage of your corporate net income after taxes or professional income from the corporation to your personal income to help you qualify. 
Lastly, commercial financing for residential properties. Under the commercial option, we can actually look at your residential portfolio as a business and see if we can support the requested loan amount. There is also CMHC insured options for properties that are at five units or above or properties that are adjacent to each other. For example, if you have two fourplexes that are sharing the property line or are next to each other, we can look at that under commercial financing as an eight units apartment building. I would suggest though, using commercial financing as a last resort after exhausting all of your residential options, because under this option, you will encounter higher costs. Your amortization will tend to be shorter than 30 years unless you qualify for the CMHC programs. And options under the commercial umbrella are limited for smaller loan amounts below a million dollars. And here is something that investors don't think about thoroughly. In commercial financing, if we're financing residential properties under these guidelines, the lenders will tend to tag what's called a blanket commercial mortgage on your properties. And what that means is that it's, it's, it's a mortgage that's going to tie your properties at the hip under one mortgage. So this limits your flexibility down the road. So it's something important to consider. These new solutions that I've highlighted for you today are making it possible for investors to continue to scale, consolidate debts, and switch lenders to save on renewals. They're also available for primary residences and rentals. So if you feel that you have hit a wall with financing due to the changing lending environment today, I invite you to explore these options, which can unlock new possibilities for you reach out to my team at info at streetwisemortgages.com. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dahlia. And guys, check out inspirebeachresort.com. We are up and running. If you are looking to host your next corporate event, team building event, client appreciation event, or come to our investor and entrepreneur weekends, which is going to be an opportunity for you guys to rent a cabin and meet like-minded people in the other cabins as well it is going to be lots of fun. So, uh, or if you just want to book a couple nights here and there, um, the season is open and each cabin is nice with a kitchen, a bathroom, a private hot tub. There's a lot, a lot. So guys, reach out to me, Sarah at sarahlarby.com if you want to know more or check out the website, inspirebeachresort.com or we are on Instagram as well, Inspire Beach Resort. Let's bring in Kayla. Welcome, welcome, Kayla, Andre. Nice to see you again. I think you've been on the show many times. You are our advocate for landlords, for investors in Ontario. So thank you for all you do. Welcome back. Thanks so much, Sarah, for having me on. It's uh, I love being on with you. Awesome. So what is new in 2023? So right now, as we are recording this, we're in February. What do we need to know as investors and landlords? Uh, get out of Ontario. I'm just joking. It's still good. It's still good. Um, there is a little bit of movement happening within the landlord and tenant board, um, doing their, their new updates to what you can file within the landlord and tenant board. Is it really going to make a difference? No. 
You know, these these are just applications like T1 applications now could be filed through the portal. You have T5 applications that can be filed for the portal. L9 applications, which uh, if you look at L9 is for the, just for rent collection. So it's just bringing your tenant to the courts to get an order based on the amount owing, but not seeking an, ev an eviction. Not too sure why uh, that form even exists. And then they have the C2, which is the co-op applications for it. So when you are into co-op uh, housing, they have a different application. So you can now file that with the landlord and tenant board. Um, but we are making some leeway with, you know, recommendations. And we do have some meetings that are supposed to be coming up. And we're we're right at the forefront. And we we were able to do that through everyone's opinion on what should be changed at the landlord and tenant board. Do you think that it's getting worse now? Like, I find that, like, me, the delays are worse than they've ever been. Or maybe it's just me. And maybe just because I'm looking into it more and more. But, you know, has it actually gotten worse? And if somebody needs to go to the board for whatever, if it's an N12 or if it's a, T, you know, an N4 and they've got, they have, you know, a tenant doesn't pay rent. Like, what's the timeline that we're looking at now to actually get your hearing? Well, it definitely is getting worse. If you look at how many, you know, rental units that have been created or what type of uh, money problems tenants are coming with, obviously that's increasing based the cost of inflation that's happening, uh, you know, across the country. So you're going to see more of an influx of applications and there's only 24 hours in a day. And, you know, it's great to see that the landlord and tenant board is now trying to expand in their hearings into the weekend and evenings. But if you are bringing in those applications and you're just adjourning them because of whatever reasons, just to try to have a delay tactic that has been obviously used uh, from professional tenants, you know, we're not going to be able to see that improvement that is needed. So we need to look at what is actually bogging down the system and throwing millions of dollars that they have been, which stating that they've had hired 79, uh, they have 79 full-time and part-time adjudicators. But don't give us the breakdown of how many full-time or how many part-time, um, but they want to put in some more funding to get 35 staff members. So this is where it's like you can throw as many people into that as you, as you want, but you have to start learning how to streamline certain applications in order to address that backlog because they're still trying to address the backlog. They think it's going to be at least another year before they address the backlog. So if you're spending this much time on a backlog, what does that look like for the the new applications that are coming and especially for more and for applications for non-payment of rent or for applications where the landlords are fed up and they're trying to get out of this business, sell their property, and now the new owner, it wants owner-occupy. So they, they need to give that type of applications. And we're looking at minimum, minimum eight months at least. Um, and, you know, people are waiting a much, much longer. It all depends on what area you are. So do you think that it's the backlog from the pandemic and everything like that that created this? Or do you think it's, it's because of also the inflation that came from it and just tenants cannot pay anymore what they used to be able to pay before because of the, you know, the rents, like the rents have gone in many markets up, you know, market rents 15, 20 percent. And, uh, you know, there's a few that were not rent controlled that went up. There's also just the cost of living in general. Utilities went up if people were paying utilities. Um, gas, I mean, is just insane now. Uh, so, you know, what do you think it, the backlog is mostly due to? That's going to be a recipe of multiple things because the landlord and tenant board was falling apart prior to COVID. And that was for the simple fact that they were in-person uh, hearings. 
Obviously, they only had it through, throughout the day, but they have contracts. So within these adjudicators, there was a length of a contract for these adjudicators and there was a freeze on hiring public servants. So they didn't hire more people to keep up with the demand. And then COVID came, which obviously next day, the the overall people coming on with the influx of people getting that message from Doug Ford stating to pay your rent uh, or don't pay your rent, put food on your table instead. So that now got the influx. And then they realized, hey, we need a new system. So now we have uh, the new system from the portal and Navigate Tribunals Ontario. That's now has its learning curves because there's errors that uh, is happening because of this, this new system. And obviously things have fell through the cracks and, and applications have gotten lost. So now they're trying to expedite those orders that actually got lost. So it's a recipe of um, of everything, but it's it's overall shows failure. Uh, on all levels of government, not being able to properly serve access to justice to not just landlords, like tenants are suffering uh, with this system as well. And that's where it's 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 finally coming to light about this because they know that uh, the landlords are leaving, their investments are leaving, but the tenants are also stuck in, in a spot dealing with unsafe living conditions. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think it's a combination of many different things. And you are right, like more and more people are leaving the industry or the, I don't know if they're leaving the industry because I think if you're an investor and you're an entrepreneur, you're always going to do something. It's just they're not maybe putting their investment in Ontario per se. And a lot of people, um, you know, I'm looking into like I obviously love Ontario, uh, but, you know, again, the midterm market, there's different strategies rather than going long term. Um, you know, I'm working on the resort and, and doing more recreational stuff. But, you know, is it as lucrative to go long term in duplexes, single families, like multifamily is a different story, but singles and duplexes, meh, probably not at this point in time. So, you know, where are people going? They're going to places like Alberta. They're taking their money. They're going to Florida, the U.S., like Mexico, you know, and, and these are a lot of them are well-known investors, with a lot of investments. Uh, and they're liquidating because it's kind of like you you squeeze, you squeeze, you squeeze. And at some point they're going to say, you know what, you don't want my money. You don't want my investments. I'm going to go elsewhere. Um, and, you know, that's the thing with investors is we don't have to stay in one specific area. So if they're trying to do more and more to discourage uh, us, uh, which is what it seems like, uh, that's going to be the consequences and the results. And I think in the long, long term. Uh, probably not even that long term, but there's going to be even less inventory and there's going to be more shortages. And what's, what that's going to do to to rents uh, is, you know, it's not going to go in the right direction. So what are your, you know, what are some solutions that you think or that maybe you've talked, because I know you, you talked to a lot of them about these things. What are some of the solutions that you, you would have proposed to them? Well, it's almost like giving them the warning signs, you know, it's here's the warning signs and letting them be very known to what the warning signs are with our investors leaving and letting them know they're in Portugal, Texas, Florida, Belize, Costa Rica. Like we're informing them that your landlords are leaving and they're leaving for multiple reasons for the concept of a broken RTA, especially the landlord and tenant board. We have vacancy tax spreading like wildfire. Landlord licensing is spreading like wildfire. And again, it's not going to benefit the ten tenants. It's just taking away, um, you know, uh, more funding from the landlord to invest and or it's going to cause the rents to increase. Then they've they and landlords have been on that pattern where they're trying to get out of long term and they kept saying, hey, I'm going to short term. So what do they do? They're now going short term licensing or they're preventing people who don't live in the city from having an Airbnb uh, within the city. So if you see how you're trying to highlight where 
you as a government are trying to create a supply because everyone knows it's a supply and demand issue. And they're trying to initiate, you know, investors and developers to continue to build. But on the other side, they're not looking at the people who are leaving. And and they'll may say, oh, another owner is just going to come and take that property. No, they might just convert it into a single family home, bring their family over, especially newcomers coming in looking for the, for the dream to own homes. Um, but you have to see that there's multiple different ways for us to handle this. And it's about in, putting initiatives in to, per, to work with investors, because when you have, you know, property standards and you have fire, fire codes and you have all the rules and regulations coming down on a landlord when our growing population of encampments are, are getting out of hand. Right. And that's what they're not quite looking at. So for us as landlords, it's like, listen. Our number one issue, as you can see through the stats, the landlord and tenant board is going to be non-payment rent. So why are they taking so much funding and pushing it to the landlord and tenant board, hiring adjudicators at $110,000 a year to deal with people who don't have money? It's it's like you got to give your head a shake. We are trying to say instead of that and looking at all the social uh, agencies that are out there and local service managers who are you know, having funding to give to people who are in need uh, of any type of rent relief. They're just trying to stop the landlord and tenant board just to deal with people with money. So we have to deal with the non-payment of rent and we got to have a more streamlined approach for people who do want to get out of the business and be able to sell their property and 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 sell it to an owner who wants to move into it. Um, that will be the N12 applications that they need to be able to streamline. And if they don't, we're going to see more and more backlog at the landlord and tenant board, landlords who are not able to, uh, you know, gain access to deal with their tenant who is ruining the enjoyment of others. Why put them through this type of pain and suffering when they know that there's a lot of other places out there that are very friendly to landlords and that which is obviously not causing any housing shortage in their area. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey, just want to take a quick moment and introduce you to one of my go-to realtors, Jamil Rahimtula, who brings with him 15 plus years of experience as a real estate investor, as well as has a background in renovations and property management. He's found my last handful of deals for myself and also for my students and uh, is great at negotiations as well. But it is important that when you are picking a realtor that they are investors themselves, understand the investment game and have worked with many investors um, because they're going to be able to bring a team. They're going to be able to bring a team of solid trades and everything else that you need so that you can get into investing and continue your investing game a lot smoother. So in order to reach out to Jamil, you can call or text him. His number is 416-275-7819. Again, it's 416-275-7819 or his website, jamilrahimtula.com. Now back to the show. Absolutely. I mean, it's especially with, uh, not to get too political, but, um, you know, Alberta, you know, and, and the new uh, premier there, she seems like she's definitely welcoming welcoming and also, you know, investor friendly in some capacity and uh, and doesn't take any of the BS. So, um, you know, again, there's pros and cons to every market, right? Alberta has much quicker market cycles and ups and downs and that kind of stuff. Ontario had longer market cycles and, and went up for, for many, many years, uh, you know, and, and where are a lot of the people moving to and where are the immigrants coming to? And you've got to look at other factors as well. However, from a strictly landlord tenant regulation i think ontario is probably the worst up there with montreal or you know quebec and uh and bc i think what do you think 
Definitely. It's like, well, I say follow along with BC. BC is also another uh, another area who the, the tenants and the landlords are upset with the way that everything is happening. And guess who Ontario is looking at when they create these type of solutions? They go and look at BC. You know, we want them knocking on Alberta's door. You know, hey, Alberta, we heard you have like no rent control going on. You know, how's that working for you? And they will say it works great because they've done it in the past and it was not good for their for their community. So this is something that, you know, as a landlord community, we have to ask for that, too. Not so much as removing full rent control, but making it fair for landlords to be able to adjust their rents accordingly, especially if, you know, utilities are increasing, the condo fees are increasing. Our rent increases now are looming at 6.2% uh, just in the city of Cambridge. So now they're actually talking about the region doing it above 8%. Now, with all these calculations of a rent increase, would this grant us above the guideline rent increase at the landlord and tenant board? And if so, we have all these landlords now that are going to file these applications and again, cause more pain and suffering on the landlord and tenant board that cannot even afford to take on another application because they're unable to handle the the, the influx uh, of of applications coming to them now. Yeah. So what do you think? What do you think the solution even is? Like, is there a solution or are we just so far in it that like getting out of it is, is just impossible? They got to do it. If there's a solution, they have to implement it quick because we know how this is. Like, it's a political ring. Uh, you know, people don't want to get political when it comes down to housing, but you have to because these people are the ones making these rules and regulations for us to follow. And if they are going to make some changes, definitely big ones that could upset, you know, tenant activists. You know, are they going to do it right before an election? Probably not. So the one thing that we need to do is, you know, have an N4 application where an N4 is given to the tenant that is uploaded into the landlord and tenant board system, into the portal to have a track record to say that this tenant received at least how many N4 applications. Tenants should have about 14 days to reply back to that application to say that they made a payment arrangement or they made payment to avoid the default order. And then a default order would be created if a tenant is not replying back or appealing that application. You know, this is right now is everyone gets a hearing, no matter who you are, what application, if you agree to it or not. And it's taking up hearing blocks, hearing blocks that could be used for more serious issues, especially for illegal acts or safety or tenants dealing with maintenance issues such as mold. So we really need to encourage that streamlined approach for that non-payment of rent. Same thing with the N-12. If you file an application with the board and give it to your tenant, that should automatically get to sent to the tenant to say there's an application file for personal use. The landlord has provided the necessary documents, the affidavits to say that they plan to move into this unit for at least a year. And here is the T5 application, I believe it is, um, for the, uh, the concept that you believe your landlord has served you this document if in bad faith. And inform the landlord that if you are caught doing it in bad faith, that it's $50,000 for an individual and up to $250,000 for a corporation. You're putting the information out there for people to make proper decisions before they act on certain applications. But if the landlord has the right to gain access to their property and the paperwork has been, been submitted, why are we holding back the landlord and tenant board and having a hearing um, trying to justify that it was unlawful at that time? Mm -hmm. So. That is what they have to look for. And every landlord out there, you have to get into the rent reporting. The rent reporting is, is we can go slow. We're going, I've been doing this for 13 years. We've seen little baby changes, little ones, but little ones that we have, you have to get into your proper tenant screening okay, process. Okay, so let's, let's talk about that. Like, What is credit reporting? Who does it? How do you do it? Why do you do it? Let's, let's go into that first. 
So right off, so people want to know rent reporting. They think they have to do it when the new tenant comes in. No, you can do this on your current tenants, good or bad. If you want to report your good tenant's payment history, you do need the tenant's consent to report their payment history, and they can give consent through the platform in order to have their good payments sent to the landlord credit bureau and Equifax. Now, if you have a bad tenant, even if they just didn't pay on the second of the month, you can report that. It gets reported to Landlord Credit Bureau and Equifax as a trade line. Be very careful on who, what rent reporting service that you have out there because not all of them have that trade line power to, to impact the tenant's credit score. And all landlords should be looking at trade lines on their credit checks, not just the score. It's going to be very important for them to do that. Uh, and then when you have a tenant, a former tenant who has been uh, you know, out of your unit for quite some time, left you with debt, you can report that up to going back six years, you can report that into frontlobby.com so that it, can, it gets shared with Landlord Credit Bureau and Equifax. Now, you're going to say like, oh, we have a tenant. They they already have shit, right? Like they don't, they don't have good credit. Like, why am I going to report them? It's not about just for the purpose of impacting the tenants avail availability. It's about informing your other uh, colleagues in this industry to let them know that that tenant did uh, leave you with a debt. And this is a way for you to stay connected to the landlord community, because when you do report uh, a, a tenant's rent payment, uh, it shows the landlord's name and it shows the email address. So you can actually keep track on if that one person's been reported multiple times, you all can come together and potentially, potentially use this as, as a fraud charge against the tenant being doing this. So that's why it's very important for us to be doing our tenant screening, which is obviously going to depend on how many landlords in uh, Canada and the U.S. are obviously doing their rent reporting so that we can know who's paying rent on time, reward those people who are paying rent on time, but make sure that we now put consequences in place for the ones that are going to take advantage of this broken system. So they go to what, frontlobby.com is it or landlordcreditbureau.com? No. Frontlobby.com. And as you report to Frontlobby.com, they share the data with Landlord Credit Bureau and Equifax on a monthly basis. So that oh. will be shared in the middle of the month for the previous month. And what do you need? You need their names, their birth dates. Full name and birth date. That's it? That's it. That's it. Okay. Make and sure everyone get your driver's license. Everyone's, they got to get the ID uh, from these potential tenants. I know it's a part of the, the skip in the process, but getting a copy of these IDs to make sure that you have their full legal name and the correct birth date. And that it matches the credit report and that you see it live in person as well, because a photocopy could be anything, right? Mm -hmm. So compare all those things because sometimes they're not all equal. And there might be cases where somebody's trying to pull a fast one. And that's, you know, your control. The amount of control we have is based on the screening before you, the keys, you know, get handed over. And so, uh, but I do like this. And, and, you know, one of the things I would just say is like, I think a lot of landlords and like, you know, again, not something I necessarily believe in, but a lot of current landlords will lie and say that the tenants were great and they paid on time to get rid of somebody. But I like the fact, and I, and, I'm, and I think that's that's horrible, but it is what it is. I know you want them out of your houses. If they're not paying, it could be someone else's problems. But, <laughs> you know, but go back and like file that they either owed you money or they left the place. Because if they damaged the place, I think you could also um, put that in there as well. You could put the rent in utilities without a judgment, but you will require an order for damages because damages could fluctuate. So that's why the landlord and tenant board always wants about two to three different quotes uh, on damages. 
So that's why an order is is mandatory. But you, utilities, if it's in your lease uh, for utilities, you can report the utilities as well onto onto Front Lobby. And then it will send your tenants an email. Is that how the process works? Knowing it that- an email reminding the tenants, hey, rent is coming due. Hey, you didn't know you didn't pay your rent. There's now a late. This is how it's going to impact you. Um, I, I just got a tag uh, this weekend from one of our the, one of the members there in the group. And she's like, this is how front lobby works. And the tenants have replied back. I'm sick and tired of these emails. <laughs> <laughs> just so pay like, then. Just pay on time. <laughs> And and you know what? Like when you, they get to see reminders of just how their credit is impacting and and knowing that landlords as landlords and knowing what we're dealing with in Ontario, that you have no other choice but to step up your screening process. You have to make sure that you're taking someone with with something to lose. You know, some people, you know, we don't mean to be picky and say you got to have a minimum of a 650 score. Like it sucks that it's like that now, but hey, it's not us. It's it's our decision makers that are forcing us into this corner to do so because we want to be able to give someone a second chance. But unfortunately, the system is t- tipped against us. Yeah. I mean, if, if we take a chance and then we're stuck with uh, eight to 12 months of waiting for a hearing, you know, the screening has to be even more and more rigid. Like even now that I'm I'm adding, so in my screening, which I have a very thorough screening process and people can still slip, like slip through the cracks. But I think even just the marketability or marketability of that renter for future renters is also important. So here's an example. If you've got a, a young couple and down the road, you want to sell your house or I don't know, it's just something, something you need the house back. They will likely find a house faster than maybe somebody with like three dogs, two cats, five kids. Like, I'm not saying that, like, I'm not renting. I have lots of families and they're great with kids. But, you know, always as you're screening tenants, what is the marketability of that future tenant? Should you need your place back for whatever reason? Yep. You know, so because there's not a whole lot of opportunity. There's not a whole lot of rent like rentals out there right now. There's going to be less and less over time. And so. I mean, you hear a lot of stories, people selling and then, you know, the tenants can't find anything because, you know, other landlords are being super, super picky and they and, and they should. They should because oh, it's where we're at at this point in time. So so obviously Front Lobby is is a good tool. Do we have any other tools that we can use or is that basically it right now? Well, you have Canly. Canly is where they've uploaded previous um orders that are on the on the on the sites uh, from the landlord tenant board. And just like that, it's been delayed. It's they don't. People have delayed six months here, right? Six months delayed. Oh, even probably further. And they don't even put everybody on, right? They don't even put everybody on the on Canly to actually check it. But that's always a good thing to do. People have also got to look at, you know, their Facebook. You got to Google their name because some people are like they can see some crazy uh, stories that they after they got the tenant in there, what they come up after they're done googling their tenant. Um, so it's it's definitely a part where landlords have to do whatever they possibly can. And connecting with landlords through your local landlords association as well is such a, a positive tool for us to have because you can a get advice, you can get tips from them, and you can also know uh, who's in the area, you know, who's had a bad experience and and hearing from people on how to handle it. Because you can do all the checks. And like you said, there will be someone that comes in underneath your nose. And sometimes it's about a good tenant gone bad situation. In that case, you've got to really have that skill trait of dealing with people and their characteristics and knowing when to say things and when not to say things, but always keep your emotion out of it because it's always, that's the part that bites our landlords in the ass. 
I, I feel like a lot of newer landlords, you know, they fall for the sob stories and then they get stuck. And then they, you know, there's going to be a sob story against why they, the tenants can't pay the rent or a sob story why, they, you know, like when somebody with a sob story is probably going to have a sob story for everything moving forward. So just careful. And I like to say, like, yeah, like you said, you know, it's a, it's a business at the end of the, the day. Like, yeah, we want to provide good housing and nice housing to nice families, but it's still a business and we're not doing this for free. We're doing this to create wealth, to build, to build something. And if it's not in Ontario or if it's on Ontario currently with long-term tenants, it'll be somewhere else uh, or it'll sure. be in a different strategy or, you know, there's lots of, of there's, there's industrial real estate, there's commercial real estate, there's recreational real estate, real estate's real estate. It doesn't have to just be residential. And so, you know, as things happen and as things move, you can pivot along the way and strategize and do different strategies. Um, and, I, and I think that's where a lot of landlords are, are starting to reconsider is, do you go into a different strategy that makes a little bit more sense for the times that we're in? Is rent to own potential strategy now? Maybe, I don't know. Um, you know, is industrial, like light industrial is, is a really cool strategy and there's no RTA. <laughs> Well, that's where they're pushing people to go and explore and, you know, getting themselves into like certain stocks that they want to get into or literally just call it a call it a day, hang their hat and let someone else take it over or or whatnot. But be surprised of how many landlords call me um, and knowing where they started off, like and how the, those red flags of tenants that they got into the place or how they never even properly served the tenant, you know, on the second of the month. Like, sorry, guys, like, don't. Don't be waiting three months to go, hey, my tenant stopped paying. What do I do? It's like, ah, did you not do anything in three months? Like, come on. So the education is very crucial. And a part of our advocacy is also working with the finance and trying to talk to the finance minister to say, you know, these landlords associations are very severely underfunded uh, or non-existent. Uh, we do need to create more education for our landlord community. I'm glad that they have a podcast like, like yours to listen into. Uh, so that you can bring them to the right tools and to get the right information to to help them as they navigate through this crazy uh, world of real estate in Ontario. It's but it's still good. You just gotta you gotta have a hard hard heart and uh, and run it like a business. Like don't uh, don't let anything influence you and go with your gut. And so many people don't. Absolutely. What about, what about you? Like, what are you, are you currently still acquiring? Are you kind of just managing what you've got working on, you know, the business with Ontario Landlords Watch? Like what's, what's 2023 have for you in store? Well, I'm not too sure if I should be building a triplex or building a bomb shelter. So I'm not too sure. Maybe the bomb shelter underneath the triplex. I'm, I'm still a little confused on that. Oh Even God. about, you know, analyzing, you know, Hey, I got a triplex. We have room for a fourth plex. Uh, in there, do I start that renovation right now, or do we take my single-family home that I live in uh, and turn it into three units? Because the province is obviously uh, knowing the importance of supply, and then I take off to Dominican. Um, so everything's <laughs> up in the air, and again, the numbers have to work. And I am staying away from areas that do have landlord licensing, just because it's not my cup of tea, and I'm not going to feed into uh, this this cash cow of a scam that you know they think it's going to be good for the industry and and eventually they're they're going to be able to announce it to say that you know they're not going to do it anymore because they see that more and more people have more opportunities elsewhere so i'm going to hover down um and see what happens but i i just all my properties have been cash flowing beautifully and uh you know we just paid off my triplex so nice. uh it was pretty good to, to have that feeling i told my husband i'm like i want to put the door red and he's like <laughs> 
I'm like, yeah, yeah. When like I think it was in Ireland, it's like if you pay off your property, the door oh, goes right. Oh, like, interesting. He's like, I just put that door in. We're not doing that. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, when it goes back to show that like, you know, it is about time in the market, not timing it, staying for the long course. This is a yeah. long term thing. And, you know, the rates are extremely high right now in comparison to what we were used to a year and a half ago or a year ago, six months ago. But, you know, again, it's temporary. Are we going to see, you know, one and two percent again? Probably not. Are we going to be around the four percentage, like which is probably an average? Yeah, I mean, at some point, I, I think it'll come back down unless, you know, unless their plan is to own everything and for us to own nothing. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it all plays out. But I know, you know what? I still I still think Ontario is a great, great investment market. I think it's just you've got to maneuver through it differently today than you were doing before. What worked even two or three years ago does not work today. The rental strategy. So like to me, there's like investment strategies like the bar strategy and, you know, whatever, like flipping rent to own, blah, blah, blah. There's all those strategies. But then there's also rental strategies, student rentals, long term, short term, mid term. Like, you know, you have to play and you got to mix and match them to see what makes sense in today's market. And something does make sense. It's definitely not what it used to be two years ago. Uh, two years ago, different things made sense. But now with the higher, you know, rates, uh, the increased cost of everything, the rent controlled units, all that stuff, you've got to improvise and, and play with what you have. There is still option, in my opinion. There's still opportunity. Oh, yeah. It's, it's more like, uh, what property do you have that it's not doing a cash flow nicely, but you can now flatten it to the ground and rebuild? You know, let's look at that option. Um, but even for you, when you talk about midterm, like I've never had that one. I got short term and long term. And I'm like, I see your stuff. And I'm like, I'm like, I could have signed up and I signed up for your, your course to listen to the, to the midterm. And I'm like, I missed it. I don't know what I was doing, but I totally missed it. Like, it's, it's all it's all virtual online. So all the recordings are there. Oh, OK. So I can just listen. Yeah, in. just just watch watch the recording. But, but here's the here's the beauty of it is, I mean, I've been doing it for three, four years just without officially dubbing it as midterm. But it was a lot of my rentals that uh, were like th like a month, two months, three months at a time. And these are homeowners. And I want to repeat homeowners in transition. So they're either doing renovations to their property. They're in between homes. Um, it's corporations that are placing and relocating their employees that are probably homeowners prior. So it's a whole new side of things. You know, yes, it's not short term per se. Could it, you know, go to the the board and, you know, if somebody wants to play that game, absolutely. This is why screening the tenants is important. This is why I really emphasize on these are homeowners. Um, they're corporate clients. They're executive clients. I have people that have stayed almost six months because they were waiting for a pre-construction home to be done. They sold uh, their home, uh, you know, as an example, and they were kind of in between. And they're amazing tenants and they pay a premium. So I usually will get about double of what I would get for a long-term uh, tenant. And they're nicely furnished units. They're, you know, they come with internet and all that stuff. And I've had great success with that. And that's, you know, to me, that's that sweet spot where I don't think, I mean, again, I, I never, I never know for sure, but I don't think they're coming after midterm anytime soon. It's like, you know, the one month, three months, six months. <laughs> yeah, no, it's we'll exactly. the section out, guys. You did not hear that. <laughs> But, you know, I, at the end, at the end of the day, there's a lot of bylaws coming with short term and there's too, you know, there's too much uh, tenant control over the long term stuff. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. 
experience inspire beach resort it is the resort that we have been building and it is ready so if you are looking to host events team building opportunities retreats of your own and just even potentially hang out with your friends or family or colleagues you can rent out a cabin you can rent out the entire resort inspire beach resort it is an adults only it is canada's only themed resort specifically for adults and the themes are really nice they're really upscale like you have like the beach theme you've got a rustic lodge theme and a vintage hollywood and we are adding more every year but there is uh, an awesome space that is on the water to host your retreats your events your business meetings planning meetings all of that good stuff so check that out inspirebeachresorts.com now back to the show so do I go into recreational, which I have already, I'm doing the resort and all that kind of stuff that's, you know, that's separate. Um, you know, do I go into commercial? Do I go into, you know, light industrial? Do I go out of country? Or do I also look at midterm? And midterm seems to me, for many of the properties, the residential properties, a good market uh, or a good opportunity, a good strategy. Again, it's not going to be for everybody. It is a little bit more hands-on, but, you know, I also, I also have the ability to make calls build the relationships. We've got like great relationships with people from the film industry, um, healthcare, you know, you name it. So I love it. Uh, again, is it going to work forever? I don't know, but is it working right now? Absolutely. You know where uh, Airbnb came into uh, or short-term rentals came in to save the day? Through COVID. And then as soon as COVID's done, they're like, let's do some licensing on these people. Let's do some prevention on this. And even for a natural disaster that's happening happening in the States right now, where are those people living? They're living in short-term rentals. You know, there's a need for short-term rentals within our community. Uh, and instead, our elected officials are looking at ways to prevent, to prevent it instead of highlight what's been driving people to short-term rentals. It's not just for the cash flow to it all. It's really because they've created a system that's just not workable anymore. And and I, it's sad to see where our, our elected officials, our government has damaged, um, you know, social housing, government housing, and unable to scale, unable to f- have funding to maintain it. And then here landlords are just doing their thing. And now we have big brother looking at us, telling us, no, no, don't be doing this. Then don't be crying when we got no supply. Yeah, no, exactly. And then, and I think you said it, you said it great. I mean, yes, a lot of people have done short term for cash flow. I think now it's very saturated. It's not cash, like it's not as cash flow positive as it used to be. Again, it's still a great strategy, but it's almost more now because they want to keep that control. They want to keep the opportunity not to have to, ha- you know, wait 12 months to get a hearing if there's a tenant that doesn't pay. Or like you said, the other option is they sell and they go elsewhere or they, they go into different, you know, market type, uh, they go into Alberta or they go into, you know, commercial, commercial or something different. That's not part of the RTA. So like, you know, again, you pigeon, you, you close the doors, uh, you know, we're going to be resourceful. We're going to find something else. And if it's, you know, unfortunately not in Ontario, then it's not in Ontario down the road. I still think it's OK. Hopefully they come around and they're like, we're going to help landlords because the best thing to do would be to incentivize us rather than punish us. And there would be more supply. Respect us as a business. Respect us as a necessity, as a business. And to know, like, you just bail out the airlines, you know, how come you're not even looking at your housing providers? And maybe it's the landlord and tenant name, which everyone has. That's what we've been looking at. And then tenants go, oh, the land and the Lord. And I'm like, listen, it's homeowner, housing provider, resident, tenant, whatever you guys want to call it. The fact is, is that they they know they need this section. They know they need the private sector to help them. And we're screaming from the rooftops to tell you what we need, what tools we need in order to help them. 
Um, so if they don't do this, then again, we're going to see the mass exodus, like I've already stated right at the at, at the middle of COVID, is that there will be a mass exodus as soon as they prevent it, landlords from being able to uh, do a rent increase for that year after, as well as, you know, shutting down the landlord and tenant board. And now you have Section 83, which, you know, tenants are using that to their advantage of using that towards trying to avoid or delay their eviction. So we have to start putting ourselves in. It's like that shoplifting experience where, you know, the price of product goes up based on the the, the, the amount of losses that this company is having through shoplifting. And landlords, we got to get creative. You guys, times are tough. You got to look like, are you doing ceramic tile? Or are you doing sticky tile? Are you going to be putting your fridge, stove, washer and dryer on a, a rental contract separately from your rental agreement? Um, only provide one car parking, even though there's two. Now that second car parking is now on a contract that that rate can now increase, um, which prevents them from you know being able to utilize this. We are very creative individuals and we're asking our government to work with us, set us at the table, stop listening to developers all the time because you have a management issue with your housing as well. And you need to see have someone oversee the landlord and tenant board to make it run more efficiently than what it is. Because if you continue with this, this is where landlords start to go rogue. And so does the tenants. And this is just it's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. I mean, like, imagine if you have a tenant that doesn't pay rent and they're supposed to pay, you know, let's call it four grand and it's not in a corporation. Like, and I'm not saying to do this, but you're, you hear these tenants just or these uh, landlords changing the keys and they're like, take me to court. I'll take the fine because sometimes the fine is less than, you know, having to wait those those nine to 12 months with no rent payments. And I'm not saying that that's the, OK, but you're like when you say go rogue, that's what we're hearing out there. Oh, it's 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 the discrimination part of it is who they're accepting, you know, trying to explain to elected officials that through my my experience of doing this for 13 years and how many landlords have accepted people on OW and ODSP. And what they're saying now is a totally different story. You know, they used to be people on fixed income used to be prime. Like landlords wanted mm -hmm. that because it was mm -hmm. fixed income. They had it guaranteed. That has now changed. Now we get into our short term. Yeah. And even though people are coming into short term, it, it does meet that need, especially people in between houses or if they did get evicted, they're using it. But if they start stating that that short-term rental is their permanent address, this is where things get hairy once again. And then you get yourself into, you know, um, trailer parks. You know, people are working themselves into a trailer park uh, type of uh, rental state right now or turning their units into storage. They'd rather rent they rather have their place rented out as a storage unit. So we do have a lot of different creative ways that are, are coming about. They're coming. It's just a matter of time. And, and now is the time for our elected officials to act, because if they don't, uh, things are going to get a lot worse because they're not going to do it right before an election. No, I mean, you've been doing this for how many years now? It'll be 13 years in July. So I've been... I'm, we got it online. We've always put our paperwork to landlord and tenant board saying, hey, you know, we want to get our, our hearings online because it's preventing our tenants from showing up. And then it gets adjourned and they give a reason why they couldn't, you know, take a, a an hour bus ride to Waterloo. Um, so they said that they were going online well before COVID, just COVID kind of hensed it up. Uh, we got local service uh, managers on the Navigate Tribunal site so that links tenants to where they can find funding, which is great because if they get funding, the landlords are going to get it. Um, and now we're just working on to their workload of what they have, what applications they have. And we got to we got to clean it up because that L10 application, you know, bringing a former tenant to the landlord and tenant board uh, to go after any type of damages, rent or utilities. 
it's pointless. You know, you have to find out where they have moved. So for skip that process, take it out of the board and just make sure you put the information on the website where landlords can report that tenant's debt to front lobby. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know what I also, and I think we're going to wrap up after this, but what I also think really messed up the system is the cash for keys. Because, <clears throat> because cash for keys, you know, people did that in the beginning, get the tenants out, whatever they needed to do, renovate, blah, blah, blah. You know, a lot of investors did it for the like larger multifamily. But the issue that it's really created is now that the renters know that it's a thing. And they start extorting and saying they're not going to do this or they're not going to pay and you give them cash for keys and this and that. And it could be thousands of dollars. And a lot of landlords are doing it instead of having to ride the, the court dates uh, and, and wait for that time. But it's creating, it's created already a really bad precedent that people now or renters are expecting cash for keys. And I refuse to do it. I refuse. Yep. And you know what? We used to have that as our little like, did you offer them a month or two? You know, you know, instead of dealing with the, the craziness that can come from a landlord and tenant relationship. And then it went into, you know, hey, I just pay my tenant, you know, this much money and 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 they're gone. But again, even if you sign that on 11, even though you have a cash or key situation, the tenants can dispute it to say that they they signed it on on uh, on under pressure. They can still try to find it at the landlord and tenant board. And again, I'm with you on because it became a normal is that I would rather give it to my paralegal and pay to weed it out than give it to the tenant. And if I did have to give it to the tenant, similar to like you sold your house, closing dates coming, you had no other choice. I would try to talk to CRA and just let them 100%, know that. 100%. So uh, deliberate there. You know, this is this is the concept where this is the information that tenants should be aware of, that if you're a landlord, if you do take this money because you're extorting your landlord, that they do have that option to make an anonymous complaint uh, or not anonymous. Just tell them straight up. I gave this tenant some money. You can report it to CRA. I think this is like fairly new, like from like I remember seeing something maybe prior to the pandemic or whatnot that like you do you should be reporting it to CRA regardless. Yeah, it should be like it's it, you're going to write it off as a loss, you know, and obviously they need to know where that money is going. And I'm sure tenants are not going to be uh, giving that information to say that this money was now. And we're not talking like, you know, six thousand dollars, like we're talking 20, 30, 35 thousand dollars. People have been offered one hundred thousand dollars in order to have their tenants leave. Enough's enough on that. You know, it sucks even with the cash for keys situation. And we still have a backlog the way it is like this mm -hmm. is that's ridiculous. So maybe that's where we see a decrease in applications um, based on what their stats have stated this year. Normally, it's about 80,000 applications. Uh, they're now trying to say it was about 35,000 applications for, for the, the last year uh, at the landlord and tenant board. So if we did see a decrease, maybe it is that cash or keys uh, resulting into these evictions where you don't have to go to the board. But we have to stop it and uh, try not to do it as as a community because it's just going to be um, you got to recoup that cost. And that cost is going to go on to the next good tenant, uh, sadly. And this is what's going to really keep buckling our housing system. Is there a way because I know you're you're in with uh, with the guys at Front Lobby and Landlord Credit Bureau to allow the landlords to just write a note on that future or that tenant's profile that there was a cash for keys done? There might be. There might be something where there could uh, be. Talk, talk to them because I think you would, yeah. it doesn't have to ding their credit or anything. But that way, the future landlord knows that the only reason that that tenant left for what it like, I don't know, whatever the reasons were, was a cash for key situation. And it might make you think twice that the tenant didn't pay 
So there was some cash for keys to get them out rather than going to the board. The house gets sold. The tenant didn't want to move. So there was a cash for keys situation. Um, you know, I think we, like we should be able to put that in there to help each other out. Why not? Little, little toggle to say settlement reached, you know, something along the lines like that. So if I see settlement reached, you know, we have we have a problem going on here. But you, you're going to yeah. see it though too. Like if you're doing rent reporting on a monthly basis and this is now affecting the credit of that tenant, when they do, if you do come to a mediation agreement and you take it off, it's still going to have its impact on that tenant's credit from having it delinquent for so long. So but it's not even be- with the N4. I'm just thinking like for even, like even for example, like an N12. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you had to do cash for keys because the tenant didn't choose to cooperate. It would be nice to know. Oh, or, it's- or like because if if the if the landlord didn't willingly, like I'm guessing they're not just going to go ahead and put that cash for keys, you know, that they've done it on the on the platform. But if it was coercion, mm-hmm. right? I mean, let's put it on there and help each other out. So, Kayla, I know you're in with them. See what you got the feedback. Got <laughs> the feedback, girl. Again, and I tell you, if anyone actually has like this is a, an opportunity to get my crazy ideas on my head and bring it to a fantastic team at Front Lobby to say this is what we need. This is what we want. This is what we need. This is what we deserve. Please give it to us. No um, more cash for key, back. guys. No more. Because this is setting the bad precedents. But if you are going to do it, report it to Front Lobby. <laughs> or CRA. CRA. And, uh, and CRA, especially, yes. But it, like both of them. I think both of them, if we can do Front Lobby at, at the same time. Well, you you're doing it, though. <laughs> no, no, no. Exactly, right? So, and but like, we should. We should be doing whatever we can in our control because we don't have a whole lot. Anyways, Kayla, where can, can my listeners reach out and find out more uh, if they had questions or they wanted to see more of what you're doing? Yeah, they can come on Facebook. It's Ontario Landlords Watch members. Uh, there's a it's make sure that members part's in there. There's about over 9,000 people now in the group. So put a request in there. Say that you heard me on Sarah Larby so we can get you into the group quicker. Uh, you can add me on Facebook. Uh, I'm almost up to my max of 5,000 people uh, as friends because every time I, I do a, a podcast or a stand-up uh, interview or event, I'm always really wanting to make sure I reach out to our members because we know how it's like to be shadow banned on Facebook. And I want to make sure that I'm getting you guys the information that you need to know uh, about the industry because uh, when the call to action happens, I'm going to need as much support as I possibly can get to so that we can get the changes that are that that we need for this industry for good landlords and good tenants. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kayla. Any final last tips for landlords listening to this right now? Get out of Ontario. I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> uh, always make sure it's educate, 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 you know, to get yourselves onto many, many different platforms. Look at your landlords associations within your area. Sign up with frontlobby.com. Uh, you can use the code OLW15 to get a $15 credit. So your first credit check is going to be free. So you can do credit checks with Front Lobby as well, not just the rent reporting. And then you'll be able to check out their new collect feature as well. So that's going to be something to really help you uh, save some money and make sure that you're holding your tenants accountable. But make sure you know about all the tools that are in this uh, in Canada so that you can better uh, protect yourself and your investments. Amazing. Kayla, thank you for being uh, another, you know, another appearance and, and also just as great every time you come on, lots of energy. And thank you for all you do. Thanks for helping us investors, landlords and having a voice. Uh, for us and and fighting for the last 13 years. Thanks for all you do. Thank you so much, Sarah, for having me on. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.